Good morning, how are we doing? Good to uh, see you this morning. Let me take uh, just a moment to thank Pastor Barry for filling in the last couple of weeks while we were gone. Had a chance to go to Arizona to uh, visit our daughter and her family there. And so, uh, good times, And uh, but I'm glad to be home. Good to be back. Barry got us through the fall in, in our series in, in the book of Genesis. Um, got us through the story of Noah. Uh, we're continuing this overview of the book of Genesis. And this week we're going to be looking at a little bit in chapter 12, a little bit in 13, and, and, and then a couple of key verses in, in verse 15, or chapter 15. Um, now the events that happened... Uh, after the flood, which we're not going to cover in our series here, show how the spiral just kind of continued downward as the earth was repopulated, culminating with this effort to build the, the, the tower uh, at Babel, leading to ultimately the scattering of nations and the confusion of languages and all of that. And so as we move to chapters 12 through 50, the focus of the story becomes on one guy and his descendants. Right, his name was Abram, his wife is Sarai, they eventually become known as Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham, along with Moses and King David, is one, probably one of the most important people in the Old Testament. Right? Abraham is someone that you need to, to spend some time to get to know if you haven't already done so. And today we're going to begin to look at his story. So Abram's father was a guy by the name of Terah, and Abram marries Sarai. Terah packs up his possessions, took his family, including his nephew Lot, the, the, out of the Ur of the Chaldeans where they were living, and, and they go north. Right? They're headed to Canaan. They get as far as Haran. They make their home there. It was when they were living there that Terah dies. At that point, Abram is 75 years old, and God speaks to him. Check out what it says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Like, take a moment to let that kind of sink in. Uh, imagine God speaking these words to you. Right? Like, Steve, I I'm going to make a great nation. From I mean, look at this start. Just check it out. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I mean, imagine... If God is speaking to you in that 
kind of way. And you're going to be blessed. Right? It's quite an honor. It's quite a promise to make to, to a childless nomad like, like that is past his prime. I mean, you could rightfully say about Abram that, that he has no home, he has no land, he has no children. Well, like, how is this dude going to become a great nation? So Abram leaves Haran and he moves in the direction of Canaan. He reached the outskirts. The Bible says this in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So, so Abram continues to move southward in search of a permanent place to stay. And at this time, there's a famine that, that's in Canaan. So Abram decides to travel eastward, and he goes into Egypt. Right? This is where the story takes a turn. You've heard me say that you think the book of Genesis is a collection of stories about people doing good things all the time. Check this out, right? You're in for a surprise here. Sometimes you'll come across people doing wrong things, selfish things, downright like foolish things. Well, like Abram does when he arrives in Egypt. Here's the story, Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 through 16. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he says to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they'll kill me because they want, uh, they will let you live. Say that you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, so apparently Sarai's a, she's a looker, right? right? She, she's like easy on the eyes. And, and then when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was, was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he, and he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and, male, and female servants and female donkeys and camels. And you would think at this point, like God would say, okay, Abram, that's enough. Right? Like, like I take back my promise, like we're going to cancel you, Abram. But, but that's not what happens. Instead, God sent trouble on Pharaoh's house, maybe not to punish him, but rather to let him know that something is wrong in this situation. And when Pharaoh gets to the bottom of it, he confronts Abram. He's like, why have you done this, man? Why would you bring trouble into my house? Take your wife, take your perception, just go. Right? Just leave Egypt right now. And so here's what he does. He gets Guido. Guido escorts Abram to the border. Here you go. Leave. Later in the message, I'll talk about some aspects of Abram's example that we probably should follow. This is not one of them. Right? This is bad. This was foolish. And to make matters worse, 
it's not the only time that Abram pulls this stunt, right? He does it again. Like, dude doesn't learn. But the story does tell us something about the Bible and the people of the Bible. The Bible never presents that it's superstars or superheroes. And in fact, the Bible goes out of its way to show us that its leading characters are super flawed, right? Just like we all are. And God continues to love and remains willing to use people who have made some really bad and really boneheaded mistakes. Which means he'll continue to love you and me as well. Right? He'll continue to use you as well. Right? That's the good news. And so Abram and Sarah and their nephew Lot, right, they leave Egypt and make their own way north to Bethel. Abraham had been there before. This is where he built an altar back in the day, right? He stops to worship there again. And realize by now, Abram and Lot are, are wealthy people. Okay? Like they got some coin, right? They, they're wealthy people. The land isn't big enough to support them all. And so Abram gives Lot the option of where he wants to live. And, and so Lot chooses the, the east of them, right, near Sodom and Gomorrah. Our focus today is on Abram, so I'm not going to go over the whole Lot thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. You probably know the story ends with both cities that are destroyed by fire and brimstone, right? Because of their explicit immorality, their total disregard for the messengers of God, right? Lot's wife looks back, pillar salt, you know, right? Now let's move to our story in, in, in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. It says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Like that's the dude that's going to inherit everything. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Here's a verse, if you want to memorize a verse, memorize verse 6. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. Next week, we're going to look closely at the promise that God gave to Abram. Today, in the time that we have left, I would love to, for us to consider what was it about Abram that made him so special? What can we learn from him? In what way should we or could we follow his example? Go ahead and take your note sheets out. You can follow along with me as we go through these three qualities of Abram. First of all, we see in Abram's life a pattern of belief. 
It can be argued that Abram was sometimes a bit uh, of a wimp, right? He just kind of what? He, he lacked courage. You could argue that he wasn't a great husband. And in the weeks to come, we'll see that he wasn't a great father either. In other words, he's a lot like me. Right? A, a man filled with flaws. He's kind of like you, right? But, but here's the thing. He believed God. As a result, God said that he was a righteous man. Verse 6, chapter 13, gets the heart of the gospel. Our righteousness, our righteousness with God comes by what? Faith. You and I will never be good enough to get God's love or his favor. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You know the verses probably, most, probably the most well-known verses around, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own Doing it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And we see through the book of Genesis how God takes those who are flawed and he forms them into men and women of character. It's what he wants to do in your life. His work begins with faith in his promise, faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Because we cannot save ourselves, because we are incapable, really, of managing our own lives, Jesus came into the world, lived a perfect life, died a violent and shameful death, naked and alone. He, he paid the price that you and I could not pay for our sins. Right? We're, we're going to celebrate this on Easter in a few weeks. And next week, we'll share with you how you can be involved in the Easter celebration. The reality is we live in a society today that demands justice as it should. We, when someone does wrong, at least for the moment, society demands the debt to be paid. And it shouldn't surprise us then to see the same principle at work on a spiritual level. It's a principle of accountability and restitution. Wrong must be paid for. The problem we have spiritually is that you and I and everyone else on the planet are guilty of a wrong that we can never make right. Because of my sin, I owe a debt that I can't pay. Right? It's the gospel. Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. And when Jesus died on the cross, his death paid the price for your sin and mine. So that all that believe in him should never perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Right? It's why this verse is so very important. Genesis 15, 6, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And even when Abram was busy making mistakes, even when he lost sight of the promise, he never lost sight of the one who made the promise. Right? He never lost his faith in God. Here's what we know about faith. Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Abraham, Abram was blessed because his life reflected a pattern 
of belief. Secondly, this morning, Abram's life reveals a pattern of worship. Look with me at, at Genesis 12, verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name uh, of the Lord. And when he returned from Egypt, it says in chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, that he journeyed uh, on from uh, Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at, at, at the first. And there Abram called upon the name uh, of the Lord. So you see, after he and his nephew Lot went their separate ways, drop down to verse 18, and it says this, So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. He, here's my point. Every step of the way, every stop on his journey, Abram took time to what? Worship the Lord. I'm going to encourage you today. And say that the Christian life is about more than merely acknowledging God's presence. It's also about honoring God's presence. It's about celebrating His presence. Pastor Barry's going to go in depth on, on worship when he does his series in July. But let me say this, and I'm super excited by, about that, by the way. But let me say this about worship. God wants His people to praise him. Why? Not, not because he needs to hear it, because you need to say it. Well, we need to acknowledge at every turn his existence in the universe and his handiwork in our lives. We need to acknowledge at every turn our need for him, our gratitude for all that he has done for us and all that he what, will do for us. God said to Moses in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I commend, command you today shall be on your heart. Right? He's talking about living a life that reflects a pattern of worship. We had a worship night on Friday night. It was awesome. Just an opportunity to come and worship the Lord. Now, how, how do we do it? Well, we do what Abraham did every step of the way, every stop on the trip. Right? He takes time out to worship the Lord. What, what if we actually did that? What if every time you sense the work of God in your life, you stop for a moment and you just worshiped him? What if you made a, a note on your phone or took a picture or you did something to remind yourself that God was present in your life today? And then you, you, you just stopped and worshipped him. You, you gave honor to him. And your coworkers would freak out. What would happen? What would God do? You do it. You tell me the stories. I'd love to hear it. I would love to hear what God does. 
thirdly, let's consider this morning that Abraham's life revealed a pattern of patience, a patient perseverance. Abraham's 75 years old. God tells him that he's going to make him a great nation. Right? He promises him a son. 25 years later, Isaac's born. Here's the thing. I don't know about you. You willing to wait 25 years for God to come through? Anybody? Because I'm like, you know, two seconds later, God, where are you? Come on. Like, I'm ready, but let's do this. Twenty-five years later, Isaac's born. Read this story about a guy back in the wild, wild west days that was looking for gold. Went to what he thought was one of the richest mines in Colorado. When he got there, the early returns were good. And, and so he starts to drill and, and pretty soon the gold disappears. He becomes convinced it's all a sham. Sells off all the equipment to this guy. Heads back home. The guy who bought the equipment decides to take a closer look. He hires an engineer that they do some more testing. They do some more calculating. All of a sudden, he finds a bunch of gold. You know where he finds it? Here's the kicker. He finds it three feet away from where the other guy stopped drilling. Moral of the story is don't give up because you might be only three feet away from pure gold. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of cross-country races and track meets. Here's what I know. I, I know that you got to get a good start to the race. I know that in the middle you kind of settle in, and then I know at the end you, you got to get after it. Right? That's a basic formula for running. My point is this. It's not enough to start the race. We need to run with the intent of finishing the race. Abraham experienced God's blessing in his life because he didn't give up. Right? His life presented a pattern of perseverance. Paul also said in Galatians 3, 29, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. And since all Christians belong to Jesus the Messiah, all Christians are spiritual descendants of Abraham and heirs of God. This comes according to the promise, not according to the law, not according to works. We're connected with this long line of God's people assembled throughout the ages. And some Jewish Christians said to the Galatians, that, that if they submitted to the law, they become circumcised, right? That they can enjoy the status of being Abraham's seed. And Paul points out the status is already theirs through faith in Christ. 
Paul had reinforced this principle throughout this section by repeating the title of Christ for Jesus 11 times in the last 17 verses. And when Paul refers to Jesus as Christ, he emphasizes Jesus' role as the promised Messiah. And then get this, if you're in Christ, this is the issue. The issue is not you're under the the law. The issue is not you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. The issue is not you're slave or free. The issue is not you're a man or a woman. The issue is, are you in Christ? If we're in Christ, then we find our place in history and eternity. Because we're sons and daughters of God. If we're in Christ, we find our place in society. Because we are brothers and sisters of the family of God. If we're in Christ, we find our place in history. Because Abraham persevered and we're a part of God's plan for the ages. Related spiritually to Abraham by our faith in Jesus. Just imagine God asking you to step outside under an open sky and look into the heavens. And then he says this to you. Can you see the stars above? Can can, can you count them? Abraham waited and he persevered to receive the blessings of God. And as Americans, how do we approach it? I don't know about you, but I would say, like I said earlier, all right, let's go, God. I'm in. Let's do it now. See, we would want the promise fulfilled right now, but God says his promises will be fulfilled at when? The proper time. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not, what? Give up. So here's the question for you today. Are you in the race to finish it? Because I'm going to tell you this morning, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. There's ups and downs. There's there's valleys and and mountaintops. It's a marathon. But it needs to be run with patience, perseverance. Are you going to get to the end of the race? And will God say, well done, good and faithful servant? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. God, my prayer for us, as we look at the life of Abram, God, that we would take every opportunity to worship you. God, that we would run the race to finish the race. Now, not to just get started, not to just get the blessings along the way, but to finish the race that you have called us to and to finish it well. God, let us be a people that as we leave this place and as we get charged up here on, on Sunday morning, God, let us be a people that goes out into our community and lives in such a way that people want to know what's different about you. People want to know who Jesus is. And God, let us be faithful to tell them. 
in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.